Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. What kind of education would teach a child to fear God rather than love God? Well, our guest today, Betty J. Eady, certainly endured one. Betty was born to a Lakota Sioux mom and an Irish dad during World War II and grew up on Nebraska's Rosebud Indian Reservation. The practice of the day was to consign Native American children to Catholic-run boarding schools, and Betty and her siblings wound up in one such facility, where many children no doubt graduated with PTSD from the abuse they endured. Betty recounts how she snuck from her dorm bed one night to her older sisters just to get warm. She also recalls how her older sister was punished when a nun beat her mercilessly with a length of rubber hose. Rumors abounded, too, about graves being dug for abused children who died and for nuns' pregnancies. Needless to say, under those circumstances, Betty grew up fearing what she'd been taught about God. When she was grown, she tried lots of churches, but it was the power of her NDE that finally made her realize fearing God only blocks the path toward loving him. Betty married at 15, raised seven children, and in 1973, at age 31, was in the hospital for a hysterectomy when she bled out, died, and experienced her NDE encounter with Jesus. That encounter not only changed the direction of her life, but the lives of millions who read her first book, Embraced by the Light. She's described how that book was downloaded to her, comparing it to the data screen download of reality portrayed in the Matrix movies. Betty's lovely book contains her encounter with both Jesus' wisdom as well as the beauty of heaven. It remained on the New York Times' number one bestseller list for a record 78 weeks, stayed on that list for two years, and eventually sold more than 20 million copies. It could well be that Betty Eady's near-death experience has had the single deepest impact on the worldwide growing acceptance of NDEs. Her story provides a profound example of how God is using NDEs to still speak to us and still communicate his love for us as well. Betty Eady, welcome to NDE Radio. Well, thank you, Lee. It's wonderful to be here with you. Oh, it's terrific to have you. And uh, I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Betty, if you would, let's start with the moment you, you died and found yourself outside your body. Yes, I was alone. It was after I came out of intensive care or they, where they had me there. And uh, uh, I guess uh, the, to begin the healing of the, the bleed. And um, but uh, there was an overload of staff, and I could hear them talking in the background, where they were having to double up on patients. Um, so I didn't see a lot of the nurse after I was in in my room. And um, but it was after it was after um, nine thirty when I realized that my, I, I awoke and I realized that my body was sinking and mm -hmm. I had a strange sensation in my, in my body, in my chest and 
I knew that I was dying because I could feel my legs, my my toes up to, uh, uh, coming up my body, that I was just, I, I, I was losing feeling in them. They were, they were dying is what I thought. By the time that feeling reached my, my chest and I had tried to ring for the nurse, but I was so weak, I couldn't even raise my arms to uh, get the little buzzer that they had placed by the side of the bed for me to ring. I reached for, I did reach and I, I uh, again, I, I couldn't. And then all of a sudden I felt this movement in my chest, like a vibration. And then there was a sound uh, like a pop. And my body, my spirit self, my spirit body came up out of my body and it rose up to the ceiling. And I spun around to take a look to see, you know, I'm thinking, oh my God, what happened? Uh, never thinking that uh, my spirit could rise up out of my body. I just figured when you're dead, you're dead. I had a morbid a curiosity about dead uh, death ever since I was a child when I could look out my dormitory window and see a graveyard across, across the way and see new graves being dug. And so as I grew nice. up, I would go to graveyards just to stand and think, you know, six feet down that, um, and then there was that song, John Brown's body lies a molding in the grave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would think on that and look down there and know that one day my body would be down there molding in the grave. So here I was up at the ceiling looking down at my body and having worked in hospitals before, I, I had seen many uh, dead bodies, uh, people dying in the hospital, et cetera. And uh, so I went down to take a look at my body and to examine myself to see if indeed I was dead and I was dead. Um, there appeared at the side of my bed, three men ancient looking, uh, they had brown robes on and they had golden belt around their waist. And they introduced themselves as my ministering angels. And they said not to be frightened, but that I had died prematurely. Um, I, I didn't connect to the prematurely part. But I did connect with that. They said I was dead because I could see that my body was gone. There's that uh, total sense of knowing. There was a sound that uh, came into the room. It was like a, um, a just a gust of energy. Mm -hmm. And the, the sound, there were chimes, uh, little ringing bells, very gentle. Uh, very um, appealing, alluring, even if you might say that. I felt my body, my spirit body, drawn into that energy. And I began to travel at a speed that I can't even describe. Mm -hmm. It wasn't uncomfortable. It was actually very comfortable and very peaceful. I found myself in a black void and i wondered what that was about but i i didn't 
wonder very long because that black void was like being bathed in liquid um, love. It was just love. It wow. was dark. I couldn't see anything, but it was just love. And it was a tremendous feeling. And, and in fact, if I hadn't gone any further, I could have, I would have wanted to stay there forever. <laughs> That's how beautiful it actually was. But then in that blackness, there was a pinpoint of light that I could see uh, begin to move about. And it broadened as it, like, a, like a searchlight would in, in the blackness, but one that was um, very bright, brighter mm -hmm. than a flashlight. It sought out where I was, and then it just started drawing me to it, into it. Uh, my spirit went into the, the, the light and again at a very fast speed. And I knew that I was traveling in a reclining position feet first. And mm -hmm. I don't know why I came aware of that. I just know that I wasn't going head first or just feet first. I was actually oh, up and able to see as I traveled through. And um, as I approached, this light got brighter and brighter and brighter. It, it would be as bright as, I don't know, hundreds of sunlight. I mean, it was so bright and white, but it didn't hurt my eyes. I could actually absorb what was happening and see what was happening without flinching or like, you know, now when I go outside, if I really feel like I need some extra spiritual strength, I will go out. And I know you're not supposed to do this. If the sun is bright, I will look up and stare <laughs> into it because I want to feel that glorious feeling of God's love again. And so as I traveled to it, then I could see there was a, a figure that was standing there. And actually the figure was the source of light. And the closer I came to the to the figure, and um, now I'm gonna I'm start I start to feel emotional because I remember what that feeling was like. And he stood there. I I couldn't see the the immediate face or anything, but I knew that it was a figure of 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 a male, and his arms reached out broadened, spread out, and as they, as he did that, a golden light came and surrounded him, and then he reached out and surrounded me and drew me to him with that golden light. Wow. I knew who it was immediately when I got close. I knew that he was Jesus. In fact, I said, Jesus. I never want to leave you ever again, never. And why did you send me to earth? I'll never go back there. <laughs> there was this feeling of intimacy in that he knew me and I knew him perfectly. And I knew at, in that instant that when you return back to God, when you return back to heaven, you return to your memories of what it was like when you were there before. But like a person coming out of amnesia, it comes to you in chunks. 
in bits and pieces of information because you couldn't just all of a sudden become suddenly aware of everything. It's, it'd be mind boggling. <laughs> but yeah. I think, I think too, my purpose, because I didn't know at that time I'd be going back. So I think the purpose too, for the, the knowledge um, coming to me in such a slow rate of speed, you know, me saying, Oh, okay, now I get this. I understand that because it comes rapidly. Um, I knew the minute I said, why did you send me there? He chuckled. He says, cause you chose to go. And I said, I would never choose to go there. I would never want to be <laughs> in Irish and, and attend Catholic boarding schools. I would never do that. He says, but you did. He said, you saw the goodness in that for your particular spirit, your soul. Your soul needed that for a purpose. Well, I didn't really, I didn't really get into what that purpose was because I was thinking, wow, this is heaven. I'm there with Jesus. I didn't go to hell. I am okay. <laughs> and I was very excited about that. Eventually, and we communicated a few other things, mainly me resisting um, ever going back to earth in the book you say why are there so many different churches yes that came what? later though. <laughs> uh. <laughs> that came later but it was after after this that he said he um i you know i i don't know what to call them other than guides because they guided me not the guides in today's world where many people say they're guides and they're angels not in that same vein yeah but I called them guides in my book because they guided me. And he says, show her whatever she needs to see. And so this is when they took me around. And as I ventured from there, that's when that other knowledge started coming to me where uh -huh. um, I, I did ask Jesus. So, yes, it wasn't in that particular moment, but I later did ask him <laughs> about the churches. and. It was interesting that he said to me that to wound anyone in their faith is perhaps one of the greatest sins that we can commit here on earth. And he said it, it would be similar. And he, you know, because I'm an outdoors person, I always like uh, camping, hiking, swimming, boating. Uh, he uses the analogy that will best suit your comprehension. You know, what you can perceive, what you can understand is how Jesus relates to each individual. Uh, because you have perfect knowledge. When Susie says a word that you're used to, you, you understand that pretty much. And he said, uh, to wound someone in their faith, or uh, it would be like someone out in the ocean swimming and all they have is a life vest. And you take a pot shot at their life vest. And now they have nothing. Mm -hmm. So you cannot condemn anyone in their faith. And he said, we are all born to earth at various levels of spiritual development in heaven. We're not all the same. And so some may need this church or that church or the other church. Again, all a matter of comprehension, understanding, 
what their soul, what their spirit needs at the time. Mm -hmm. But for anyone to hurt someone else because of their faith, he said, isn't good. The knowledge, the greater knowledge will come to them in segments until they can comprehend it. And they will know that and they will accept it. Just as he said, all will come to know who I am, even though they may die never knowing. I yes. love that about, about him telling me that directly. Um, I asked him about hell. Well, where's hell? Because I expected to go there <laughs> and I wanted to know where, where it is. You know, he said, he thought that was kind of amusing that I would even ask. And he said, well, if you as a good mother and he, and he, he knew that I was an exceptional mother, I not having had my own mother as a child, I studied every book on parenting and I wanted to be the best mother possible should I have children. And he says, if you as a, as a good mother wouldn't cast one of your children, not one, into a lake of fire or into outer darkness because they didn't understand or they made mistakes or they sinned, what you call sinned, sin, he says, how much greater is God's love than yours? Yes. And as the moment he said that, my spirit mind just opened up to understand God's unconditional love, the love that Christ has for us. And then I went, went back to where in the scripture it says, as a good shepherd, I will not lose one sheep. And I thought, no wonder. I mean, we're really reading the Bible wrong. Or someone is adding or taking away from it. Because this does not compute with what I was taught. Yeah. And uh, that he welcomes us into it. He wanted to know what I would do. Well, I would welcome them into my arms. And there would be no need for forgiveness. When you're young and ignorant. When you don't understand you make mistakes and nobody is born to this earth with a how to, um, you know, how to use the item. There's no instructions. And so when children are born, parents make mistakes. Children, they live by what you teach them and, and, it, and, and how they can comprehend what you're teaching. I had seven children. I could tell you each one of the children didn't get the same message whenever of whatever I taught them. <laughs> was it after the guides take you on the tour that you, you started to remember the creation in the book? You say that we all participated in it. Tell us about that. Uh, yes, we did. Uh, that was shown to me. Um, um, let's see. I, I, it was, I was taken back in time while I was in heaven and um uh, where I participated in what was going on when we were all there and um, before the earth was created. And as the earth was created, the spirits there were, were, were told they could participate. Those who had interests or talents or whatever, 
And I swear I participated in the development of the ladybugs. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> sounds very strange. And and maybe if you had the dragonflies, maybe the ladybugs and the dragonflies. Oh. Everyone was uh, in, in on the creation. God so loves us. He wants what we want here on earth. Mm. And so that's what I observed. We, we were created like that. We were in on um, our development, what we would need here to develop. We were in all on it. And then we raised our hand that we were volunteers to go. Were we created at the same time as the angels, our spirits? It sounds almost like we were angels or that oh, we are before we are come to earth. Yeah, not really. I didn't, I didn't see that that was true because I was told that angels had chosen not to come to earth. Um, either they weren't prepared or they just didn't need the experience. Um, I, I, you know, I don't remember which way that goes, but, and so when I read in the Bible where it says that we are greater than the angels, yeah. I understood that perfectly. Yes. Because we were willing to endure this life. Exactly, <laughs> because we're here to acquire the attributes of God. We have within our bodies, the DNA of God. And I was told that back in 73, um, that when he created us in his likeness, that included his DNA. So we have that God part. And this is where many of the, uh, I guess, new age uh, philosophy and, and their feelings, is, you know, on gods and goddesses, they're not far from the, the truth, except for their expression of belonging to the universe or whatever. They don't, many of them don't, not some do, include that God is our creator and that we are here to acquire and to develop his attributes that he instilled in each one of us. Mm. And each of us might have a, um, one or two or more attributes that are lacking. And so we, we need to, uh, to develop that. Now, not all of us came here with the same strengths, the same mission, the same purpose, or um, we just need to develop. And some came as teachers only, and some came as students only. So sometimes our students, you know, students teach the teachers, actually. Yes. And so when you run across a problem child, not necessarily your own, but anyone that is kind of <laughs> difficult, and they could be teaching you a valuable lesson. And that might be their sole purpose. And they showed this to me while I was there as a man that was lying in the gutter, a uh, drunken bum, I called him. They says, what do you see? And I says, I see a drunken old bum. And they let me know that that was a harsh criticism because I didn't understand what his goal and his mission was. And they says, let's take him out, let's take his spirit out of his body temporarily and let's show her what he really looks like in heaven, you know, and he's back in spirit. And I'm telling you, Lee, his spirit was so bright and so brilliant. And I'm standing there and I looked down at my little spirit. And <laughs> I often say it looked like a three watt 
light that you plug in at night for a, you know, a night <laughs> night light compared <laughs> to him. I was so embarrassed. I can't tell you how embarrassed and humiliated I felt that I had judged him that way. And they said his purpose, sole purpose for being born was that when in heaven he had what they called or I call soulmate, a buddy that were just very close. And the one said he was coming down, he was going to become uh, an attorney. And he said that he needed to make sure that he learned compassion. And so his friend wasn't going to come down for any other reason, because apparently he either had already developed enough that he didn't need this experience, but he decided he'd come down and when their eyes met and they would they would spark each other to fulfill their purpose. Uh -huh. And the drunken bum, his main purpose was to spark the attorney to remind him to be compassionate and to do good for other people. That somewhat parallels something else that you saw or were told was that Judas had volunteered. Judas was Jesus' best friend and volunteered to be his counterpart in the crucifixion story. Exactly. And I was there again in the garden, just outside of a building uh, that had beautiful crystal-looking stairs. And Jesus had come down and was standing there on one of the steps off to the side by uh, off to the side just a little bit. And his friend, Judas, came and was standing next to him and one hand on Jesus' shoulder as they were looking down at the um, massive numbers of people just below there. And they were all chatting and everything was good. The father comes in and he mentions that we here on earth, we had had all wrong. The teachings were all wrong. People were hurting and that uh, he asked for a volunteer and Jesus did volunteer to go. And the father did accept him to come with what we know as the gospel, the good news. Uh, he said that he would be crucified for uh, another reason, too, because martyrs, the messages of martyrs are generally kept for eons. I mean, people just know there's a martyr's give their life to something and he asked for a volunteer to be the one that would give jesus over to those who would kill him and nobody raised their hand nobody wanted to and jesus looked up at judas and judas raised his hand <laughs> and i'm watching this i'm thinking wow. oh no that's judas that's when i realized <laughs> who he was <laughs> And I thought, but they love each other. They're, they're best friends. You know, uh, you know, and I thought, but of course, it makes sense. If you love someone so much that you would give your life for them. So I thought, oh, that must be what that scripture meant or where that came from. Because um, Judas would give his life. Wow. It was beautiful. In a chapter you call laws, physical, spiritual, universal. You say that each particle in creation has intelligence in it, filled with spirit and life, capable of joy, 
And when God speaks to these elements, they have joy in obeying his word. I love that passage. That is so true. And it is so, so beautiful to, to see that in real time as I did. Uh, the cascading falls I, I wrote about, each droplet of, of, of water was praising God. And I thought, how are they praising God? And the knowledge came, they're praising God because of their existence. Because back in school, I, when they said, you know, we were singing all the songs in church that we would die and go in heaven, spend our eternities praising God in song. Well, I couldn't sing. I didn't have, you know, I was a child. I, I didn't have a voice to sing. I wouldn't know what songs to sing. <laughs> I really felt left out. Indian, Irish don't sing these <laughs> songs. And then I thought God was awfully strange to want people around him just praising him all the time. Wouldn't that be awfully boring? And so as I watched the little droplets come down from the falls and I, and, and again, your spirit opens up to what is called pure knowledge there. And you just understand from beginning to end, whatever you're, whatever you're questioning. And I saw that each droplet was doing as God created it to do. And that is to praise him by, through their existence. And that's what we do here on earth. We praise him by our mere existence. And uh, I deal with a lot of people who are suicidal. And I says, you know what? You take your own life. That's like a slap in the face to God to live forever and to endure to the end. And so no matter what the condition of your body, no matter what condition of your mind, just exist for God and ask him to come into your heart. Ask him to come into your life and ask him to lead you and guide you through it. He'll do it. He'll do it. Just exist and be the powerful individual that he created you for. And if you don't know what your purpose is, it's because it's kind of kept a secret. It's already inside of you. You just need to discover it. Yeah. People always ask, why is there evil in the world? And you write positive and negative energies are essential to creation and growth. Discuss that a little bit. Well, to me, I thought of that as uh, going to a gym. You want to build muscle. You have to work out. It's all on, on you. And since God created us with free will, in other words, we can, we can do what we want. We can think what we want. He wants us to, to grow that way. So when you go to the gym, you work out the muscles that you find are lacking and need to build. And the same thing there is true. If you don't have that tension, if you don't have the stress that those machines create for you, you are not building muscle. If you don't get out and walk, you aren't going, you're going to have, your legs are going to be weak. If you don't, you know, do different things. And so you have to have the opposite in order to actually achieve perfect balance. And um, we had to have stress and strife in order for us to work through it. And so not only do we have God, we have the adversary. I don't like to call him the devil. I think that's a word that was given him by man and not God. He is the reverse of good. 
The reverse of good then be could be equated to the machines that you go to the gym to work out with. So when you're when you think everything is going great, all of a sudden here comes the adversary, and now you've got to strengthen whatever muscle is weak in you. And it might be, and I know I mentioned this to you before, mine has always been patience. So just about everything that will test my patience will come to me and I have to deal with it until I strengthen that weakened part in me. And you say not only do positive negative energies exist, but energies have intelligence, which would mean negative energies have intelligence that works against us as well. Because it's attracted to us. We attract either the negative or the positive energies depending upon our our energy you know what is it if you i saw the energy that's around each individual uh some call it the aura it's more commonly known as the aura i call it the energy field because it's full of energy and jesus taught me that we can use that energy field once we become glorified in him and once we allow him to be in our lives our energy field can go out even six feet on either side. And that we can use that energy field, and I can attest to this, it's been 50 years ago since I've learned about all of this, and so I use it a lot. Mm -hmm. Especially, I started first after I had the experience, I went into a church, was sitting there, and I thought, all right, I'm sitting here, I have knowledge that some of these people don't have, I'm going to start using it and practicing it. And so I would send my energy out like Jesus. When I when he saw me coming, he came out like this and drew me to him. We can do that same thing with our energy. We needn't take our arms out. That was for me to see and for me to feel welcome. But you can send that out in any direction. And depending upon the energy that you have acquired from God, you can send it way far. I mean, as far as you want. Mm. Now, our thoughts have deeds or create deeds. And also through our prayer, they are gone. They can go. I can. You're in New York. I can pray for you and my prayer will get there. Through the power of my energy, because around this world is what God created. And that's why I love the matrix. There is a field of energy that is around our world it is a matrix and when we pray we connect to it just like uh, when you turn on your light your light goes on you're wondering how in the heck am i connecting to all this light it is you know this in that same vein your prayers can go into the matrix and be wherever you need it to be just like that and I was shown prayers that go up to heaven when they come from the heart, not vain, repetitious prayers, Jesus said. Those are not even, those are for the ego. Those are for, it's like brainless prayers, certainly heartless prayers. Your prayers must come from here to have the energy to reach heaven to God or to reach anywhere. You also wrote, all creation begins in the mind, and imagination is the key to reality. And that creation would color the power of a prayer, too, wouldn't it? 
Absolutely. But it also helps you in your own, uh, you know, with your own ability. Imagine, uh, you know, just imagine things are better. Just imagine uh, that you are healthier. Just imagine, and it can happen. It can happen. And again, I, I have so many, I could give so many analogies there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am the doubting Thomas big time. You know, <laughs> having been raised the way that I was, I didn't trust, I didn't believe, blah, blah, blah. So if anything comes along, I test it out. I Google everything, knowledge and, and whatnot. I don't take anyone's word for it. I check it out. And so checking out the imagination is key to reality. Here in December, I fell and I received a uh, concussion. The concussion oh. happened to cause me to have, when you lose your balance. Oh, inner ear damage? Well, it wasn't, you know, it, it is connected to the inner ear, but that's, it, that's your balance mechanism. Yeah. Because the inner ear has these old crystals in it. And mm. when those crystals shift, you lose your vertigo. That's the word. Oh, yes. It creates vertigo. I had vertigo big time. And um, so, but I have stairs. I have to go up to go to my, my bedroom. And so when you're going upstairs, you are actually shaking those little crystals around too when you're in <laughs> movement. I would get weavy and, and whatnot. And so finally one day I said, okay, I know the secret to all this. Imagination is key to reality. I no longer have vertigo. I can go up those stairs. And I went up the stairs. The brain, uh, I went into therapy later as well. It's not as magical as, as that. I, a lot of prayer and also... Um, not accepting it as a permanent situation, but using my imagination, using prayer and creativity, I am about 80% past the vertigo. Mm. So I practiced everything Jesus taught me and he taught me how to hug. And I remember having, in, I, was, I was in New York uh, speaking and there were, I don't know, maybe a, a couple thousand people that had come uh, to attend and uh and during this and i always pray before before i do anything and i had prayed that the lord would just let me know what i am to say or do interrupt me i told him and insert what you want me to do well right at towards the end it was inserted downloaded uh that i needed to teach them how to hug yeah. but there's a magical thing to that hugging uh, and so I did. I stopped everything and I says, everyone stand up. And they stood up, turn to your partner. If you're with your wife, turn to your other partner because you don't want to be husband and wife. They get giggling and they get silly. And <laughs> so I said, turn to the other one, turn to your right, left, turn away from your partner, partner. Let's have someone you don't know. Stare into each other's eyes for a minute. Imagine. They are just a spirit. You don't see their flesh. You are going into their eyes and sensing and feeling their spirit. And I said, and when you feel that you've arrived there, feel free to give them a hug. You know what? Everyone, and some took longer. Some, there were giggling. There were, you know, the funny thing. But you know what? Not only did they hug, 
but there was tears, there was joy, there was, they didn't want to let go of each other because they looked past the flesh and went directly to the soul. It was the most beautiful thing. I was standing up there crying. Oh. It was the most beautiful thing ever. What a lovely exercise. That's that's terrific. But we have it all in us. Yes. Why are we hiding it? Yes. Betty, describe the garden that you saw in heaven and tell us, what is it like to be a rose? Yes, a rose. <laughs> <laughs> I entered this garden and they told me to rest there and enjoy. And I was alone. There was no one else there. And I, when I first entered off to one side, there was a field of daisies and there was a field of this, then that, and that. The daisies were, at, were white and beautiful and more beautiful than you can even imagine. There were roses. Every, there, were, there were plants and flowers I didn't even recognize, but they were gorgeous. And again, they would weave and move and, and, um, and they would move to my rhythm. In other words, if I wanted them to move, they would move. So they, uh, the grass grew up. I always liked to uh, walk barefoot out in fields. And I loved it when the grass was about up to my calves. Mm. And the uh, grass would, I would feel them, you know, feel the grass as I walked on it. And so as I walked on the grass, and I was thinking about that, the grass grew up and came up to my calves. Wow. And it was lush green. It wasn't that scratchy stuff that you can <laughs> But I loved it. And I just walked along there and um, into the flowers. I noticed that there was this one uh, plant, the rose. It was so beautiful. Very, very beautiful. And as I approached it, it felt my love for it. I, you know, the communication there is so transparent. I mean, you can't hide your emotions. And um, I felt what it was feeling and it felt what I was feeling and it was mutual love. And um, so I, as I approached it, 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 my love for it broadened it and it opened up petal by petal by petal until it was bigger than I than I was. And I could, I wanted to get, you know, it was so beautiful. I wanted into the rose and I was able to go straight into the rose and down its stem. I mean, it was big now. And I, I just, it was beautiful, light, beautiful. The fragrance was magnificent. It was just awesome. And wow. then when I came out, there was that reverse of all of that. The rose started closing up and Lee, I knelt. I felt this is sacred ground. This is a sacred rose. And I knelt before that rose and I thanked it for loving me. And I love it. And, and it, I can feel its mutual love. Wow. Coming back to earth, when I talk about people when, or I hear people and they say, I'm in love with this or I'm in love with that. I'm in love with him. I'm in love with her. They don't even know what in love really means. Yeah. In okay. love is that mutual thing. You can say, I love this person, but not necessarily as a mutual. <laughs> mutual is yeah. definitely <laughs> that coming together like a husband and wife, you know, that one singular thing. Yeah. Yeah. That when the two spirits pass through the body and touch one another. 
Yes, yeah. it's beautiful beyond any beauty. And, uh, and you can do that in heaven with anything you love. And I mentioned going into the, into the pond, the beautiful water that was flowing into it. I became one with that water. Now imagine being one with water that loves you. When you crawl into a hot tub where it's swirling around you and, yeah. and, and whatever, if you can just imagine every droplet of water kind of giving you a, what we would call a hug because of the love. And it's just, uh, there are no real words to, to express all of this in, the, in, in, in English or in any other words, except for the common usage. You say in the book that there were spirits in the garden that took you on a tour of other worlds and you heard cosmic song in the process. Tell us about the cosmic song and the worlds it that you saw. It was really wonderful. Yes, after meeting what they called was my greeting party. Mm. And they said not everyone was here because it wasn't, you know, my time. And I remember arguing with them. Oh, yes, but it is my time to be here. <laughs> and they just looked at me with smiles on their face, like, okay, she doesn't know yet that she's going back. Look. Um, and they said that um, uh, two people were coming, that I would be going with them. And what appeared to me were two men in um, uh, that were, you know, warring angels. And so they, had on outfits that you would imagine warring angels would wear. Again, using my, my understanding, warring angels would have all this. When you see put on the whole armor of God, that mm -hmm. to be a warring angel look. And so that's how they appeared. And they said that they were going to take me to the other worlds that God created. Now, this is back in 1973. There are no other worlds. No one had, had found them yet or talked about it. Right. There, there simply were not. So in my mind, but, but I'm in spirit. And so it made sense. And as we lifted up and were going off from one world to the other, I noticed that my dress, I was no longer, no, no longer dressed in the coral dress that I had on before, but I too had warring angel garbs on. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And I thought that's interesting. I kind of looked more like a ninja. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Betty the ninja. <laughs> yeah. But after coming back, my password for a long time was ninja angel <laughs> because I related to that ninja and as being angel flying around. Yeah. But there, there I was with them and they took me and how we got there, it seemed that we just went together flying to get there. Again, there may have been another mode of transportation, but that is how I could translate it. It's just fast speed forward. We went to many worlds, many worlds. But the one world that I remember uh, clearly, uh, and they did tell me that much of what I experienced there would have to be taken from my memory. Uh, but the one I do recall, and I know it has some meaning because they would not have let me retain that knowledge. 
um, otherwise, because there was so much that I, I witnessed that the knowledge was, was, was taken. But in this one world, um, they were excited. It was just like, like going to a conference. There were all these people and there were the, the people who were running the conference and they were all there waiting for me to show up. Now they were waiting for me. That really bothered me. Yeah, they knew I was coming and they asked me for my report. Nellie, you don't know me all that well. <laughs> I, I think you can pretty much figure out this woman wouldn't have anything necessary to report of any great substance. But here I am in the, uh, uh, to report, and I gave my report, but I don't remember what my report was about. But they did tell me, I do remember a response, and they said, there are many who would wish to destroy your world, but we are there protecting it. And there are, the, uh, there are other worlds that would want to destroy your world. But we are there to protect it as well. We are. You need to know that we are there. I says I appreciate what you're doing and thank you. Yes, we do need your help there. I remember saying that, and they said that it will become more obvious about what's happening in time to come. That we will see them from our world. We start to notice uh, the UFOs or the people, other people. And that's it that I remember of the worlds. Uh, coming back, like I said, I, I, it, it, I feel troubled by it. And I'm not sure exactly why that I feel so troubled. Like there's information that is there that they said, you know, if there's anything more that needs to be given, they would give it to me as, as needed. And yes. I have anything more about that wow at some point you had a life review was that after you'd been in the garden with the gods yes that was after after the being with the warring angels actually i was also taken uh shortly now i won't go into depth but i was taken to a classroom where it was important for me to learn about the native traditions and the native ways i participated in that hmm. uh, there, there's a lot more to that but given time and whatnot i won't go into that um then i was taken into um a room where there was a council of men that were sitting at this at this table uh waiting and uh, there were other items there. One was it would um, resemble a, a glass tube that you would step inside of, um, like, it, like it transported you or it transports something. And, uh, and Jesus was there. And he said that I needed to go through my life review and mm. um, just step inside there. And as I did, I was transported back in time to before I was even born. And then the process of going through my mother's womb, um, 
uh, all the way through. So from from heaven all the way down to earth to uh, your mother's womb, to listening to your mother and father talk, to every event in your life, you experience it. You, you don't see, see it. It's not like a movie. You re-experience those specific moments in time that had changed you in some way. And I experienced it all to the point where I was, you know, I begged them, no more, no more. I, 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 and, uh, you know, I, because most of it, at first they showed me mostly the negative parts. And then I, when I came back, Jesus said, now we'll show you what you've done for the good. And so they showed me that. <laughs> <laughs> And when uh, going through that, which was pitifully little, but <laughs> I, I doubt I, that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was quite a characterly. I was not, I was, you know, raised in that Indian boarding school. And yeah, I wasn't always kind and considerate. Mm. And when uh, I came out, he did say, and I'll always remember this. It was so clear. And I, and he, he, he kind of chuckled and he said, Betty, you were too harsh on yourself because I came out of all that crying. You know, I was distraught. He says, you were too harsh on yourself. And I thought, well, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one that counts, you know, <laughs> so it's okay with me. Um, yeah. So everything. And then that's when the man said that you'll have to return to earth or it's time for you to return to earth. And I turned to Jesus and I says, and I told you, I'm not going back. And he said that, yes, I did indeed have to go back. And I, he said, you promised the father that you would do something. And he showed me what that was. And at the time that I made the promise, but he didn't show me the, what I promised, just that I had promised the father that I would. I says, then I'll go back. But I says, you have to make me a promise too. He says, what's that? I says, promise me that the moment of my death, that you will be there and that you will bring me back right here to this same place. And he grinned and he said, he said, I was precious. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you're shaking his head you know stubborn type thing yeah he says i promise you and i looked over at the men i says and you guys too if you can make it and they nodded their head <laughs> uh I, and, and it sounds like this is a so a figment of someone's great imagination but i swear it happened it was it changed my life and but before I left heaven, um, angels, the whole surrounding was filled with angels. And they were singing the most beautiful songs. I used to remember, the, when I think when I first got back into my hospital bed, I remembered a few words, but now they were taken from me. So I don't even remember the words to the song. And as I was listening to that, Jesus was getting ready to leave. And I looked over at him and he said, 
above all else, you know, to teach, tell the people, because I told them how on earth am I going to go back and tell everyone about what I experienced here. He said, you go back and you just tell them. I said, people aren't going to believe me. He said, that's up to the father. He will open the hearts of those who will receive. All you need to do is tell them. I says, like how? He says, do as I did. Do as I did. Just tell them. And I said, I'll do that. And then he said, above all else. And he spread his arms again to include all this beautiful light and gold. And he says, above all else, love one another. You know, I'm in the midst of writing the script, the screenplay for the Embraced by Light. It's a little bit challenging because in my mind, I want to close that movie with Jesus saying, above all else, love one another. But as time goes on, I'm seeing that everything, our direction is antichrist. So I don't know if I'll ever get the movie on its feet. But if I, if I will, if God wants it, it's going to get done. Well, the power of the message that you brought back, I mean, it was incredibly important that you come back. Yes. And one measure of that are these demons that show up in your room after you're back in your body. <laughs> That's a measure of how much evil forces wanted to discourage you from what oh, they, you were about they, to do. They really, they really did, yes. Yeah, As, tell us about that. Yeah, when I came back into my body in the first place, it felt so cold and clammy and I describe it as crawling into a muddy uh, jumpsuit or whatever. Mm. It, that's what it felt like getting back into the body. And uh, as I laid there, uh, I began to have more, I was going back from spirit. I'm back in the body. I began to see in advance some possibilities of how our world is going. And um, uh, so my mind was not still connected with spirit it was connected here and um i heard some growling sounds in my hospital room and i was aware i was in my bed i was aware that i that was everything and i looked and there were these demons monsters they looked like gargoyles gargoyles is is what i can relate to them and mm. they were they were angry and they were hissing and they were approaching my bed and the three um, uh, monks that had appeared uh, at, at the start, they yes. showed up on uh, the side of bed. They told me not to be not to be frightened that that this was Satan's work and uh, of of trying to create fear in me. But um, that then then this great 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 big dome of light came over me, mm. and it was like a glass dome, but it was light. And they said it would always protect me. And I, I would not have to fear anything, any outside source from Satan to interfere with what I am doing. And, um, and the only thing that would damage me is if I allowed it because I still have free will. And so not to allow it. Uh, the demons hissed and snarled and they left because they, they were frightened of what was happening. 
Then also there appeared uh, a little bit later, a little girl about two years old and she was dancing around my bed like a little ballerina. Uh. <laughs> she was so happy. And my husband happened to come in about that time. And I said, do you see her? Do you see her? And he says, no, I don't see her or see anything. I says, well, you should. She's standing up on your toe in a, you know, a posed as a ballerina and trying to dig into your pocket. And he says, Betty, there's no one here. He says, uh, uh, you know, maybe we need to get you some help. I mean, he was concerned. I says, no, she's there. Uh, and it was interesting, too, while still in heaven, when I was at the pond, I was looking over the pond and I could see my, myself in reflection in the, in the pond. And there was this other figure, woman figure, that came up behind me. And she said, um, she said she had always loved me. I always loved her. And the comment later is we visited and we had such a good time together. Um, she said, you know, separate, we're good, but together we're perfect or something to that effect. <laughs> later, when I was watching people being born to earth, I saw that they were selecting their parents. And there was, um, there was a, uh, uh, a, a spirit selecting to be born into a woman that she wasn't too happy about going to. And later, two years after returning to my body, and I, uh, I discovered that that person was actually that little two-year-old that was dancing on my husband's toe. Oh. Because she had she couldn't come to me because I had the hysterectomy. So she had to choose another way to come down and she chose a lifestyle she didn't want to go to later after she was born, she was born in 79. So this was a few years later when she was born, we adopted her and I could adopt her because I'm native. And at the time they wouldn't allow anyone to adopt a native child unless you were native. And mm. uh, my sister happened to work for that office when this baby was born and asked me, wouldn't you want to have this baby? Anyway, long story short, I adopted her. And um, I never had made that connection until she was two years old. I was putting up the Christmas tree. My husband, Joe, comes in. She jumps up and she runs over to him does a pillow, I don't know how to say that. Pirouette, just like, oh, wow. Just and like he'd seen. And she was digging in his pocket. <laughs> and Joe just goes, what the heck is this? <laughs> he, he looked at me. We just burst out crying. Oh, dear. She was the one. Wow. Yeah. So from that point on, Joe says, you know, I'm, I, I just need to know some of the things that you experienced. We're going to see if they, if they come to fruition. <laughs> and he kept his own little list. And whenever he something would happen, you'd see it on the news or whatever, he would call me and he'd say, okay, this happened, that happened, that happened. He was a doubting Thomas, too. He needed to know that this well, was a real event. At this point, I'm sure he does. <laughs> He's an avid <laughs> <laughs> One thing I do want to mention before we close is that you learned 
I'll read this as I jotted it down. You say, I learned that spirits can choose to enter their mother's body at any stage of the pregnancy. And once there, they immediately begin experiencing mortality. I guess being mortal is, right. is what, not, not death, but, and that's such an important thing because people never get, I mean, they're fighting all the time about whether the soul enters at conception or at the birth and the first breath or somewhere in between, but it's really something that the soul can decide. And I would think in cases, say, where a, a woman is miscarried, that a soul would already know that that was going to happen and may choose to not even be in the miscarriage. That's a possibility. Uh, I really do. I, I really do. Well, obviously I do believe it because I experienced it. Mm. Um, so they might have selected and then something, you know, who knows what uh, might have changed or, or maybe, maybe the miscarriage was to uh, help, you know, everything is done. God only allows those things that are going to help us, not to hinder us. Yes. Maybe having the miscarriage actually set in motion a different mindset in the mother or maybe in the father. Um, Some some change in dynamics. Yeah. Hmm. This is why we can't judge anything. Yeah. One last thing, which I think is so neat. Five years after this happened to you, you get curious about, whether you had actually died or not, you go back and you visit the doctor and you tell him your story. Tell us what his reaction was to that. Yeah, well, I knew I had died. I never questioned that or my experience. But what I didn't understand is that the the doctor's attitude after I came back and the nurses, uh, and that was a question in my mind. What did they say? I wanted to know what they experienced because, Mm. Again, doubting Thomas. I mean, I don't let any corner go <laughs> unswept, right? So I I made an appointment, went in, and uh, his office was so crowded. He was a very popular doctor. I went in, and uh, I said, uh, once I was taken to back to the, to the treatment room, I said, I didn't really come for treatment. What I came for is I need to tell you what happened to me, and I would like to have your version of what, what of, if you remember, uh, what what you saw. And uh, and that's when he, in fact, we ended up talking for a good hour mm. while his office was full. Because I, when I, after I told him my experience in very brief little clips, he had lost his mother. And he said, that he had, he knew something was happening to me. And he knew when he came in and asked me what was going on, I said nothing. I just had a nightmare. I did not know how to relate that to him, nor did I want to tell him because it was so sacred at that moment. Mm-hmm. But he said, there was more to what you were doing, Betty, how you were. He says, you were die. Uh, and he says, when my mother passed, he says, I thought of that. And he said, because you kept saying that you weren't here, you weren't here. And uh, he said, I, I, and, but he did, he, he actually wept through it all. He says, now I know that she is a more glorious place. He says, because you're not the first person that has said that they had gone somewhere. He didn't say heaven. He said that they had left, but they were revived and came back to earth. 
So it was a, a actually a happy thing, but I also went to the hospital. I didn't write about this because it was, uh, I went to the hospital, but they said they lost my records. Hmm. They yeah. didn't want the evidence that you'd hemorrhaged on their watch. They said, and please, Betty, do not go out and tell people where you were when you, because I did that earlier during speaking events. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, because people are calling and saying they don't want to come here for their hysterectomy because you died. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> They're afraid. Yeah, so I quit. If they had an experience like yours guaranteed, <laughs> Everyone would be lined up at the hospital. Would be lined up exactly. <laughs> I quit telling people who my doctor. You know, I laughed at all because you know what, Lee, when you go to heaven and you learn what transparency feels like, that means no one can lie to you. You can't lie to anyone. What is is, um, it's so you know, truth shall set you free. Best yeah. describes that. You don't care. You don't care. Everything's fine. You don't have to. Uh, there's no pretense. And I have developed. Um, yeah, I've gotten better. It took me a while to get used to that. I live my life in a very transparent way. I always do. And people think that I'm just, I just don't care. No, it has nothing to do with not caring. It has. I'm preparing myself for when I go back to heaven. Because I know there's no. There's no lying there. You can't lie about anything there. And uh, and yes, you don't have to be a blabber mouth and tell all secrets, but there's such freedom in living your life in truth. And One note I took from your book was, in heaven, all history is pure and completely understood from every angle. Yes. I thought, boy, don't we need that down on earth? Oh, yes. <laughs> Yikes. Well, yeah, it would be not. Well, we're going to get that when we go back. But right now, what you do every day is realize that it's just another lesson is coming. It's coming your way. And whatever it is, you're going to handle it. That's it. Just that. It's, it's going to come no matter what it is. And don't burden yourself with it. Say, okay, I see that there is a problem here. Let's put our heads together if it's a family thing let's talk about it let's see the best way to handle this and uh and don't absorb it as the life crushing thing you know there's people dying you might walk out in the street and get killed now it's someone else's problem so don't own it it's not just your problem yes <laughs> your problem. <laughs> it's so free betty thank you so much for this for sharing your profound nde with us today <laughs> Thank God. I mean, I thank you for it. And, you know, people uh, say how wonderful Embraced by Light. Embraced by Light was given to me, and I hold it sacred just as pure as anyone else does who loves it. Yeah. Um, it, it certainly, and I don't put myself on a pedestal. I'm just human. I still err. I am not an angel. Uh, I just am a person trying to live as close to God and the love that Jesus provides. And that's it. Well, you've, you've provided an enormous gift to the world and today to our audience. So, Betty, tell folks how they can find out more about your books, Embraced by the Light, The Awakening Heart, and The Ripple Effect, Our Harvest. And there's a book 
I did. It's called the Embrace by Light Prayers and Devotional. And it's uh-huh. one that I really love. And it, it's indexed. So you can kind of search the other books too for whatever you're looking for. Nice. Uh, they can look at look uh, look for me uh, very simply embracedbythelight.com. That is my website. You can go to the um, uh, if you want to check on the movie, you can go to embracedbylightmovie.com, uh, and that'll take them to to that uh, area. I am also on Clubhouse every Sunday at one o'clock. Pacific Standard Time, you can join me there where I discuss the various attributes of God and some of the uh, Jesus's teaching. It's called uh, Embracing Life uh, Through the Ministry of Jesus Christ with Betty J. Eady. That's what you look for in the clubhouse. It's a, it's a, uh, uh, it's kind of like a Zoom place, but it's all voice. Your picture is not there. So if you don't know what clubhouse is google that and they can reach me through email just simply betty at embracedbylight.com great easy i'm easy to find (laughs) (laughs) and worth the effort (laughs) for sure (laughs) if listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 490 archived ad-free nde interviews go to talk zones nde radio site and hit the past shows button or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. Be sure to check out our new NDE Radio Facebook page. Well, it's not really new anymore. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.